I think for a while, the guilt development was kind of a forgotten piece of the SOW system. And I think it is our greatest potential for improvements in SOW reproduction and lifetime performance. And we really need to start paying more attention there. And It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Hey everyone, so today's episode will cover back to the basics in field development with Dr. Kara Stewart. She covers a lot of ground from bar exposure uh, to optimal weight, age, number of astros at first breeding, acclimation to the breeding crate, out of feed events, space requirements, and number of fields per pen. And then finally, we ask the question, have development units and good research being forgotten. So with that, enjoy the episode and have a great day. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just All, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello everyone, today we have Dr. Kari Stewart on the topic of back to the basics in guild development. How are you, Dr. Kara? I'm great, thanks for having me today. Thank you, uh, like I told you before, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy there running a bunch of uh, uh, research. So the first question we have is uh, if you can tell us about your career so far, for those that don't know you, and, and also how you got involved in the swine industry. Sure, so um, I've been at Purdue now for about six years, and I'm a reproductive physiology swine extension specialist here. So my appointment is majority extension and teaching, and at Purdue, uh, they define extension as also an applied research program. Um, So I got involved in the swine industry like most of the students coming out of Purdue. I thought I would be a veterinarian, Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't get in the first time I applied as an undergrad, so I went searching for a master's program to try to make my vet school application look better. And mm-hmm. that's when I was sent down to work with uh, Billy Flowers at NC State. And I ended up spending um, nine years down there in North oh, wow. Carolina. And uh, he really exposed me to the swine industry and I never really looked back. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And, and that's a pretty uh, pretty good place to get your training on, on, that, on that topic for sure. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yes, cool. So, you know, when we think about uh, Field development, um, we always hear about bar exposure, right? And so in your, in your mind, what is a good bar exposure? 
So I think this is where you have to really go back to the basics. The, the data um, really shows a lot of differences between full contact and fence line bore exposure. So when we're talking about stimulating a gilt to come into puberty, that's very different than trying to stimulate a sow, a post-weaned sow to express heat. So for bore exposure in puberty attainment, we want to find full contact bore exposure. Um, so we want the gilts to be exposed to a bore for about 15 minutes per day. That's a long amount of time, actually, uh, for every individual gilt in a pen at the GDU to receive full exposure to the bore. Um, the folks up in Canada have done a lot of work looking at bringing the bore to the gilts versus the gilts to the bore and found that it was um, advanced puberty or easier to detect pigs in estrus if we moved the gilts to the bore. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's called the bear method. Um, but that can be really hard from a management perspective to have the space and, and all of that to do those types of things depending on the GDU and the facilities. Um, the other thing to consider in bore exposure is that continual exposure could be bad. Mm. So gilts kind of become habitual to um, a bore if he's housed in an adjacent pen. So then they that can delay puberty as well. So individual pig, full contact, 15 minutes a day is, is best. Very nice. Very, very good. Um, how about the, I know something that I've talked a lot with nutritionists in the last few years, you know, what's that optimal gilt weight and also, you know, number of astros and, uh, and what are your thoughts in general about that? But also, is there any recent studies in the area? A lot of the stuff that I'm aware of, it's been uh, almost a decade, some of this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, the two groups that I know of that I look for for a lot of research coming out in gilts is um, George Foxcroft and Jennifer Patterson up in Canada and then uh, Clay Lentz and his crew out at the U.S. Mark do a lot of work with gilts. But um, I still think the target breeding weight, we could argue, is around 300 pounds, and that should be um, breeding age uh, no longer than 220 or 225 days of age. Mm -hmm. So if you aren't getting those girls bred by 225 days of age, they are going to not be reproductively maximize any reproductive potential for your farm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, I haven't seen anybody really repeat some of the data, but breeding at the second estrus, the data was pretty clear as mm -hmm. you could imagine even a decade ago that uh, breeding at the second estrus increases ovulation rate and number born alive. Uh, so it's worthwhile to skip a heat, document a heat and breed at the second estrus or third estrus. I don't think I know of any data that shows a benefit of second versus third, mm -hmm. but definitely anything more than one. The first is is the way to go. Um, and that's tough. Some some GDUs aren't doing a very good job at recording heat no service in the barns in the GDU and others are doing a really great job of that and confirming they've had a, a heat before they um, move them into crates and start getting them ready for breeding. Um, I think that maybe opens up another area that we need to discuss, which is the acclimation to the breeding crate. I think that's becoming a lot more practiced, which I think is great. Uh, so those those gilts, if they are cycling um, in the group pens and then you move them into a stall, they do need a period of time to adjust to that stall not being a stress. So I think it's really important that we do spend some time acclimating them to that stall and then before they move to the sow farm and get put in a stall to be bred for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and that also makes sure they know how to eat in the stall. They know how to drink out of the right nipple walkers or the troughs. They need a lot of those kinds of adjustments. Otherwise, we can see them maybe have that first heat 
documented in the pen and then all of a sudden they don't seem to cycle again and they fall out. And part of that just could be acclimation to, to the stalls. Very nice. Are we talking here about two weeks or a minimum of 10 days or what do you have in mind uh, for that? Yeah, I think two weeks. I mean, you know, if once you find them in heat that first time, go if you have stalls at the GDU to put them in to start acclimating them there. And then by the time they're ready for their next cycle, you know, so two to three weeks would be really nice to get them acclimated. Very nice. So changing a little bit of uh, topic here um, from a more practical standpoint, uh, what is the impact of out-of-feed events in that guilt development? Um, I, I, in my opinion, it, it's really impactful in two ways. One is that when we look at the growth rate of the gilts, if we want them to achieve puberty on time, uh, they really need to be maintaining a good growth rate, a steady growth rate throughout all of their development. Um, so, you know, the data, that, again, is more than a decade old that said something like, 0.55 kilograms per day. Well, mm -hmm. we would easily hit that target in modern day genetics. So mm -hmm. we're probably 0.7 kilograms a day or something today. Um, but that being said, I think if they have a lot of changes in their growth rate, it also comes as a big stress to them. So no matter how long the out of feed event is, that's really changing their growth trajectory. And I think it'll definitely impact puberty. And we've actually had a couple research trials on commercial GDUs where uh, we had some documented out of feed events and the, we ultrasounded ovaries on those gilts um, when they should be pubertal. And mm -hmm. we found that barns that had out of feed events were completely delayed in puberty. So mm -hmm. my experience with it has been, it's pretty impactful. And I think it changes their growth trajectory as well as probably is a huge stress to them, which mm -hmm. all of that will delay puberty. That makes total sense. Yeah, not, not very different from regular finishing pigs, right? That's we, right. We want to make sure we avoid that. No, makes sense. How about uh, the space requirements for the guilds, Kara? So again, you go back to some kind of older data, but I think, um, you know, they looked at 12 square feet per gilt during development. And maybe it's more important for us to think about stocking density mm -hmm. as well as the actual space requirement for the gilt. Um, you know, some older data, again, looking at group sizes between 10 and 30 seemed to be pretty ideal, but over 30 uh, could have delayed puberty, but that could be space requirement or stocking density. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't seen a lot of recent things, but I can tell you I've been on some GDUs that have some pretty crowded pens. And a lot of times they even have maybe a vasectomized boar uh, living in there with the gilts mm. full time. Um, and so it's just quite remarkable to me when we think about our industry, how much variation there is in management at the GDUs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more space, the better. And probably no more than 30 per pen is still probably where we need to be. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it's... It's interesting to see that in the last few decades when there was that major uh, move into having GDUs, right? Which yeah. was a big step. And then sounds like uh, more recently we need another big step change on more from a uh, standardization standpoint uh, in order to, to get to the, to the next level. Yeah, I think a lot of people converted barns and so just the facilities are very different from farm to, or, you know, system to system on what the GDUs look like and what they're capable of doing and when they move pigs around. And for sure, the methods of boar exposure is just tons of variation on what people are doing. Very cool. 
another question I have is, you know, in the last several years, say three to five years, uh, what's been the one guilt-related study or event that has really uh, changed the way you think about how we should manage guilt development and, uh, you know, that's already uh, have generated some impact in the field? For me, we had, a, I think for a while, the guilt development was kind of a forgotten piece of the SOW system. And I think it is our greatest potential for improvements in SOW reproduction and lifetime performance. And we really need to start paying more attention there. And um, actually, Jennifer Patterson and George Foxcroft just put out a review uh, this within this past year that really discussed kind of managing guilts for their lifetime reproductive performance that I think summarizes a lot of the data over the past you know 20 years really well. Um, but I think we have recently had this issue where, you know, one, a couple of large systems had um, gilts not expressing the standing heat reflex. And they did some spotter checks and saw that some of them actually were cycling. They just weren't ever expressing heat. And it wasn't just a small number. It was kind of this relatively large number of animals that all of a sudden just weren't expressing the standing heat response. Some of them would have bulbas that kind of swelled up, mm -hmm. but then they never locked up and really um, showed the behavior. And so I think that got a lot of the academics and the um, veterinarians and everybody together to start in the genetics companies to start trying to figure out kind of what changed and, and what went on. And actually, the good news for me is that put a lot of professionals into GDUs mm -hmm. to start looking at management and reevaluating kind of the guilt portion of our, our sow performance. So um, I think in my personal experience, that was kind of the first time, or this has been the first, it's really put me on a lot more GDUs in the past couple of years, just trying to work through some of these issues that we were seeing with these um, gilts not standing in heat. And uh, some good research is starting to come out of that. And I think that that's going to kind of get us geared up to start maybe putting some more research dollars into kind of focusing on it. Because I think we, like I said, we have just a lot of potential there to make good improvement in sow productivity by focusing back on the development of the gilts. And, and really the development of the gilts begins at birth, maybe mm -hmm. even in utero. So, you know, looking at season of birth and where the mother's stressed can, you know, they've already shown that stress during gestation can alter the ovarian characteristics. I mean, you know, you can go all the way back to in utero development, and that's when guilt development really starts, not just in the finishing phase at the GDU. So I still think we've got a lot to learn and a lot more um, maybe consistency or research to do on methods for optimizing puberty attainment in those guilts. Interesting. Um, have you seen, I remember seeing a study, I believe it was from uh, NC State, on the, the one on winning age of the guilts, and I, I think I, I saw a few multiplication farms going to a little uh, older age, a few days older. Have you seen that or that has, has not happened very consistently? Um, I think I have seen a few farms start to go to a little bit of an older weaning age. There's, I think, a survival piece to that of the piglets if they have a little bit of a longer time to nurse and grow before they start the transition diet. Um, in the nursery. So I, we have seen some increases in, in lactation links okay. across the country for sure. Very nice. Um, anything else on the topic of uh, guild development, Dr. Stewart, before we move to the three questions we ask every guest? <laughs> no, you can go ahead. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high health registered purebred swine in the globe 
having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis Genetic Program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. G-E-N-E-S-U-S dot com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. It is time to our famous three. All right. So the first one is, uh, what's your favorite pig-related book or resource in general? Well, my favorite, I'm a mother of four kids, so my favorite pig-related book is Charlotte's Web. Mm, There you go. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And I'm going to stick with that. (laughs) All right. That works for me. It's it's in the category. Um, Okay. (laughs) What's your favorite book in general? So in the past few years, uh, my favorite book has been the book called Daring Greatly, or really any of the books written by Brene Brown. She's Mm -hmm. a kind of leadership motivational uh, psychologist out of Texas that I've been following and reading quite a bit of her work. Very cool. I think uh, we had someone else in the podcast that had uh, one of her books as well. Very, very cool. She's got one of the most watched TED Talks, I believe. Yes. Yep. That's what she's known for. Very nice. Uh, the last question is, what do you think sets apart successful swine professionals from those who are not? So I think the key to success is caring about the pigs and the people. Mm-hmm. So no matter what area we're in, if we're in the barn or if we're in the higher up office, we better care a lot about the pigs and a lot about the people. Because the people have to be able to be happy in order to keep the pigs happy. And if the pigs aren't happy, yes. then nobody's going to be happy or making it. And so I think that the most important thing is just a real commitment to the pigs and the people. I love it. Yes. I like it. Yeah. Having care for the pigs and and for the people. That's what we need. Yeah, for sure in our industry too. We're short on people. And so I think every part of our industry is hurting to find really good labor. And even at the PhD level, we can't train enough of them to fill the jobs that are out there. And uh, the barn level, we've always struggled. And so I think if we you know, if you are a company that really is committed to the people and the animals, I think you can be successful. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time again, Dr. Kara. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks Web Conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics, and we're even going to have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our waitlist. We'll talk soon.